Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 18th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening. I'm Indiana's own Dana Black, contributor and co-host for tonight's segment of Bring It On, and uh, producer and host of Turn Left. The theme of this year's Bloomington MLK Day observance is Keep Knocking. The January 16th evening keynote speaker, Representative Park Cannon, is Georgia's youngest state representative and one of two openly queer uh, lawmakers in the Georgia General Assembly. She represents House District 58, which encompasses a diverse cross-section of Atlanta. The Democratic lawmaker recently made national headlines when she was unlawfully arrested and removed from the Georgia Capitol after she knocked on the door to the Republican governor's office during his signing of SB 202, Senate Bill 202. This restrictive law limits voting rights in the state, and Republicans rushed the bill through both chambers of the legislature a few hours before he signed it into law. It has been harshly criticized nationwide for disenfranchising black voters, and it's being challenged in court and is being dubbed Jim Crow 2.0. So tonight, we've invited her to talk about her start in politics, the state of affairs in Georgia, her reflections on such issues as the midterm uh, success of Senator Raphael Warnock, and her work with such civic leaders as Stacey Abrams. Finally, as the keynote for next for Monday night's uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, we're inviting her to share a preview not a whole lot, just to kind of give y'all a little taste of her remarks. Representative Cannon, Cannon welcome to Bring It On. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I love that we are starting off the top of this year by bridging conversations and am looking forward to this dialogue. It, you know, I got to say, I know boss man is going to come in here in a minute, but I got to say how wonderful it is to see you again. Uh, I've had the opportunity to, to chop it up with you on turn left and I get to hang out with you out of victory. A lot of folks don't understand the significance of, of representation. What does it mean to be not only a woman, a black woman, but also a black queer woman representing the folks in Atlanta? I've always understood that you can be what you see. In some way, we have for so many years become things that we've never seen. So I'm excited that nowadays there are younger people or people who are even older than I am who are able to be intersectional about themselves and to really bring their full identities to the table. Ultimately, representation means that we get to have different vantage points with which to negotiate when we go to lawmaking tables. So since I know a lot about people living with HIV's experience, it helps me be more of an empath when I am advocating on a bill related to disclosure and making sure that there's not stigma that's making the law, but that it's really about science. I love it. And uh, Representative Cannon, 
First, let me congratulate you on the University of Georgia Bulldogs being this year's <laughs> national football champions. I, I got to give them the props. And our thoughts and prayers to go out to the families of Devin Willock, the University of Georgia offensive lineman and staff recruiter Chandler LaCroix, who were killed in a single car crash early Sunday morning. Uh, now, aside from sports, Georgia has certainly been in the national spotlight, and more so even at times the epicenter for politics, with a successful run of Senator Raphael Warnock and a probable indictment of former President Donald Trump led by Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis. Your thoughts on all that's been transpiring over the last, so we'll say, 18 months or so in the state of Georgia? Well, it definitely takes uh, someone to have resiliency to continue to get up and to read the paper and still go out and do community service. So that's really what our office is up to right now. We have weighed so many of the things that have happened in the past year. We have come a little bit further out of a pandemic where many people in Georgia lost their jobs to no fault of their own and really had to become entrepreneurs or more savvy economically and still vote mm -hmm. while all of the voting laws changed. 98 pages worth of voting laws changed. So we're seeing the resiliency of Georgians and the good old fight. I'll definitely say that one of the proudest moments of 2022 was being able to access opportunities for self-care while still being so in the forefront we finally saw voting rights activists talking about mental health, candidates talking about the importance of taking time away and getting away for the holidays. So I'm happy that the dialogue around politics right now does include some level of self-identity formation and the continuation of what could possibly be good trouble. Now, 2023 is already here and it got off to you know a quick start we are constitutionally mandated to be at the Capitol to start session the second Monday in January. And it just so happened to be the same day as the National College Football Championship out in California. So we saw lawmakers questioning whether they would even be present to vote for their new speaker or rather go to a game. Now, it's been pretty intense, some of the conversations that have happened there between Democrats and Republicans. But I am glad to say that as I serve as the caucus's secretary, the Democrat members are ready to start moving. And the Republican ones coming into, they've got ideas of their own. So this, this new turnover, this is the largest turnover that Georgia politics has had in over three decades. There is a lot of new energy and we are hitting the ground running. So I got to ask, though, were y'all I mean, what were the conversations like in Georgia when you knew that Senator Raphael Warnock's race was that close with Herschel Walker? I mean, I know what we were saying up here. We had our own version of Herschel Walker and a Diego Morales, who is now our secretary of state. Unfortunately, we're the only uh, we're the only state that had an election denier win an election. I just want you to. Yeah, he's bad. The, the, our secretary of state. What, what, what were the conversations like in Georgia when y'all saw Herschel Walker talking about the bulls and the going up on the hill and there's more cows down there and all that other stuff? You know, the black folks in Georgia really rallied around 
expressing our understanding that there must be a belief out there that we do not believe in ourselves and that we cannot see what is right in front of us. We wanted people to understand how disrespectful it is to make it seem as though this is a candidate that people can really rally behind with a black lived experience. There's someone who does not live in the state and someone who possibly has um, concussion related um, mental challenges, you know, to be going up against the person who is literally the pastor of Dr. King's church. Right, right. You know, we had to just keep pushing it back and saying we see the disrespect and we're not falling for it. And the numbers of votes that you'll see that came on the other side were mostly just about the amount of voters that there are on the Republican side. And of course, the number one voters in that segment, which were uh, women of Caucasian descent. Yeah, that's scary. That's scary. But you know, luckily y'all showed up um, and y'all showed out. And that's because you guys have been doing the grassroots uh, work and getting people turned out. And and real talk, I mean, I know everybody talks about Stacey Abrams because she's well-deserved the accolades, right? Mm -hmm. But it was a whole host of organizations in Georgia that made a concerted effort to get out and talk to people about voting. Talk about those organizations um, around Georgia, how they not just stayed in Atlanta, but they also went to rural Georgia and, and were engaging folks down there. Let me give you three. The first is the People's Uprising, an organization that bridges communication between elected officials and community members while uprisings are happening. They realize there needs to be some Black joy to get Black folks to the polls and to now. get folks to the polls. So they were hosting roll bounces. They were hosting stroll loss. They were hosting ice cream socials to make sure that there was some sort of engagement and joy um, and enjoyment. Additionally, we had Protect the Vote Georgia, an organization run by three Black folks, Black women of uh, diasporic descent who have recently become mothers, who are recently getting their accolades after years and years and years of being in broadcasting, being in media, but realizing that they needed to really use their abilities and community leadership to protect the vote. So getting out information about when the polls closed and how you can actually access absentee ballots and what information has changed. Protect mm -hmm. the vote had that. And then lastly, you know, I gotta, gotta, gotta give it up to one of Stacey Abrams organizations, New Georgia Project. New Georgia Project is out here giving rides to the polls in 20 different cities you know, 20 different counties across Georgia, making sure that if people needed a safe ride that would not be coercive, that would allow them to take their time and to wait however long it was and to take them back, even if there were handicap um, issues going on right there to really meet people at their doorstep, bring them to the polls and back. So I love those three organizations for really showing up for Georgia. Right. I love it. It seems uh, it seems like Miss Abrams really laid the framework for future successful uh, political races, and it seems as if when all was stacked against Georgians to get out and vote, um, from your Governor Brian Kemp purging uh, the ballot rolls to uh, all of a sudden, I guess was this the state where they had a volunteer uh, 
pulling police or, or vigilante individuals parked in cars with long guns to just ensure that everything went the way it should or, you know, against all odds, incredible odds, people stayed in line. And it reminds me of the images from South Africa uh, when Nelson Mandela was running and people stayed there from the, the crack of dawn well into the night to cast their vote. And I think Georgia has been that, that model mm -hmm. for America. When you talk grassroots, uh, when you talk about inspiring people to see that imagery, and we all knew what you were up against, but you hung together, stayed together, and collectively made it happen. And for that, we all are, we all are grateful. And now, again, you're at the epicenter again. It seems like all these lawsuits against uh, the Don um, may fall apart, except the one in Georgia. I mean, we thought the well, Mar-a-Lago, I mean, all the super secret documents that he had hoarded away, they're going to try to make the case, well, you know, Biden had his, and that's a whole other discussion. Uh, and there is no comparison. But it seems as if, uh, you know, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis is literally taking him to the mat. And she has gone above and beyond, and it just might happen. A probable indictment. It's not for certain, but the recommendations have come back, I believe, from the grand jury. Your sense, and once that happens, and the spotlight put back on Georgia, how do you think things would be in that state? Absolutely, it's clear that we have experienced backlash over the years and have had to be more... Um, careful with the ways that we talk about our work, the ways that we do our work, how we check in with each other and make sure that we are actually getting from point A to point B. But it's not much different than how Black folks, Brown folks, marginalized people have had to operate. Mm -hmm. When you look back and see how we got through um, slavery and high incarceration rates, we had to have our own channels of communication, our own safety words, our own special places to meet up. And so a lot of those types of networks, underground networks, are really working right now. And I'm proud of organizations that are using their financial successes over the years to put back in and to do more kind of mutual aid work to help put child care back at the forefront front to make sure that if people are doing activism work, then they can still have food on their table. Um, you know, there are some cases like the ones that you've mentioned that somebody had to be out front on. And so our district attorney has been really out front on those. And from the state's perspective, of course, the Democratic side, we want to get her and those offices more funding more access to resources, more clerks, more assistant judges that can help them to get through these cases, these important pieces of history that hopefully will bring some sort of validation to the organizations that are even saying what has been happening and being truth tellers in the midst of possible violence. Man, that's that. And it's, it's a shame that we even have to fear violence doing something that is constitutionally um, provided to us, even though we had right. to you know, get layers and layers of that uh, uh, protection. You know, but, you know, we talk about, you know, being involved in all the different organizations and all the events that are happening surrounding Georgia. But but it takes real people to step up and put their names on the ballot to fight against a lot of the things that we see. Tell the people who you are and where you come from and what made you decide, I want to put my name on a ballot. 
I was born in a small town called Albany, Georgia, in the early 90s. And <laughs> Whew, early 90s. Boss, boss, I got a pair of boots. Never mind. I need to say it. I need to say it. <laughs> and I quickly began to learn that the same fights that Dr. King was having in my hometown in the 60s when he launched the Poor People's Campaign were still lingering in my community as I was a young person. So I sprang into action. I was the little girl who was on on her school news, talking about Black history every February. I was trying to bring my family's artifacts and hold them up and show to people and help them understand what was going on. And it's really been an honor to become an elected official. I was 23 years old when I ran for office and I'm 31 now. So I'm kind of getting a little more mature in this thing. And it's- no, your, your skill is just now getting Black. It just, it's just now starting to get, get the flavor seat down into it. You got you got a decade or two more to get that seasoning in there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm a girl raised in the South. Love my grits. Always gotta make sure that it's getting right. But we have really, really, uh, you know, my team and I over the years, uh, these seven and a half years of being elected, really created a coalition of other organizations and other places that we can reach into for information. I remember when we started doing intentional black male mentorships and internships in my office. And our goal was to create lobbyists because we had such a small amount of black lobbyists at the Capitol. And now one of my interns from four years ago went to law school and became a lobbyist and now is lobbying for one of the largest firms in the state. That's and to just dope. see how it's, how our work is, um, you know, getting out into the community, but it's been a lot, you know, as a young person, as a, a person who identifies as queer, which just means that there are an umbrella of sexual orientations and gender identities that don't get put in the center. And sometimes it's not even that we're trying to put it in the center to center sexuality or gender. We're doing it because it is actually opening the doors to other conversations. Yes. One example would be if someone wants to get pregnant or someone is capable of being pregnant, they could be of any faith, any skin color, any ethnicity, any sexual orientation, and actually any gender. Um, right. Because some of it is socially constructed and some of it actually you cannot find out unless you're a doctor. So we're trying to make sure that people understand that there is fluidity, um, there is neutrality, um, there can be a binary for some people, but really opening up the doors in this makes it so that when we talk about people passing away in childbirth, we're not just leaving some people out of that and making it seem like it's a one-way issue. It really is important for us to be talking about what happens if people are already on a pipeline of mortality and then they're marginalized as well. So it's been an interesting journey and we're just getting started again at the Capitol for another two years. That is so exciting. And you you talked about mortality. Oh, boss, am I supposed to be quiet right now? Dana, if I'm successful at getting you to hold your tongue, then I will get an award. But before before you take off on the, on the, next, on the next tangent there, which is helpful <laughs> and very knowledgeable, I have to ID who we're talking to. Absolutely. <laughs> if you just tuned in to bring it on, the voice you just heard, um, who respectfully uh, deferred to me, was Indiana's own 
Dana Black, who is no stranger to Bring It On. She's a former contributor and wonderful guest to have on our show to tell us about what's going on in Indiana. But tonight, our attention is shifting to the state of Georgia. We have with us State Representative Park Cannon, who is Georgia's youngest state representative. And she is this year's Bloomington's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day keynote speaker. And just a little bit about what's going to happen uh, as of this recording, it will take place um, right after our show is over at 7. And it starts uh, at 7 o'clock. It'll be in the Buskirk Chumley Theater. And um, we're so proud to have her with us as she will talk about such things as, uh, no doubt, maybe Jim Crow 2.0. And we'll get her to, to have, give us a little taste, as Dana said earlier, about what we can expect. There is a reception that's ongoing right now, but again, her remarks will begin at 7 o'clock later this evening. Um, on that note, if, if I can, because I did the, the keynote, I am going to segue into the next question. Um, we, we talked about, you, you mentioned Congressman John Lewis and his legacy and his catchphrase, good trouble, which many are grasping and trying to incorporate and what, what empowers them and what gives them passion. Um, can, you, can you get the sense that he's there with you every step of the way as, as you all are working together to just overturn years of oppression and years of just obstacles and barriers? And if so, what do you hear him saying as he's whispering in your ear? Yes, he has been a mentor to me as I've been a young elected official in Georgia. And my mom reminds me a lot of the time that he would just um, really get excited, almost tickled, you know, about me sticking it to him, you know, and, and putting it in there. And we serve, um, you know, as humble members of Dr. King's church together. So we would pray together at times. We would spend time, um, you know, in a quiet you know, God facing stance, trying to just understand and wrap our minds around where we are situated and how we're co-conspirators. And so what I'll share is after my unlawful arrest, I was trying to figure out how would I feel comfortable walking back into the state capitol? Who would help me feel safe? And I started to realize it would be the mentees of the late Congressman John Lewis and the son of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, his, his son, Martin III. And so he actually walked me back into the Capitol that day. Um, no security could really make me feel that way since it was the Capitol Police who arrested mm -hmm, me. Mm -hmm. So really having to dig deep and to feel that cosmic connection um, to, to civil rights leaders and not that I... Um, intended to be arrested that day. I absolutely did not. Anyone who knows me knows that as much as I am a part of direct actions and have seen other people choose arrest as a part of their service, it has never, ever been something that I was interested in doing. And so trying to connect back to why that had to happen, I really do feel like as the door door was being closed in front of me and I was knocking on it. Um, you know, there's a, a, a Bible scripture that talks about what happens if you knock. Um, and, and, and basically that, you know, eventually the doors will open. And I do believe that even though that door was closed that day, the world's eyes were open to what mm -hmm. in Georgia. And for mm -hmm. that, I am okay, you know, for that cosmic connection. I am so grateful. Um, it really does comfort me sometimes to know that these feelings that I feel are um, not just coming from inside of me. They're actually the community uh, embracing me. 
uh, a follow-up to that. As um, you elaborated earlier, in rather briefly about Jim Crow 2.0 uh, and, and the speed by which they passed that on both sides of uh, the legislature to enact it. And, uh, and, they, and they had some intent in mind. It, it, you know, it's, it's the same old whatever. Give us a little background on what you have phrased or what has been called Jim Crow 2.0 for our listeners who may not know anything about that. In Georgia, we now have a new law called Senate Bill 202, which is uh, accessible online, but at the time that we were debating it, the public could not even view. What happened was they changed a two-page bill to be a 98-page bill overnight. They sent it to a committee at 9 a.m., and they signed it into law at 6 p.m., So during those eight hours where people are working their jobs, trying to get down to the state capitol, trying to reach out to their legislators, every single section of the voting code was changed. The three top changes that would impact any state, and I think that any state should look out for and resist if they're seeing them happen, One is being able to take over local boards of elections. Each county or each city has a group of people who work together to say which polling places should exist or what times the staff should be there to set up. And now instead of that locality making that choice, the state could take it over and make that choice. That is terrifying. The second is saying that it is a felony or misdemeanor to give someone food or water in line. Now, we who believe in universal human rights, we who understand that voting people generally in the majority are over the age of 60, we know that this is an attack on people who have sacrificed the most to be able to vote. And the third issue that we really had with it was talking about how counties and localities can pay for their elections, how they can receive in-kind donations. We just saw in the pandemic, N95 masks were not free. COVID tests were not free or very much accessible. So if a philanthropic organization wanted to donate a certain number of masks to a polling place, now they're not able to. It would have to be funding that comes directly from a government source. And so Senate Bill 202 really reconstructed the situations in which people can vote that I spoke about, but it also changed how early you can registrate register or how late and how early or late polling places can be open and how many polling places and how many drop boxes. And so we're still putting in lawsuits and trying to receive information from voters on how they are outvoting the voter suppression or how the voter suppression is out suppressing. You know what, honestly, I'm over here getting heated. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind, and, it, and it's all going to be related here in just a second, when they were introducing, when they were fighting over who was going to be the Speaker of the House in D.C., they had the audacity to toss up Donald's name, Representative Donald's name out of Florida, a black Republican. I, I, I have a problem with black Republicans because he, this is an example of 
you know, the Republican Party, the Republic, when they have control, they aren't necessarily interested in improving the lives of the people that they're governing or they're representing. All they want to do is re, uh, re restrict their ability to cast a vote um, in their state house because they see the numbers are shifting. And so I have a problem with with brothers and sisters who are have, uh, you know, all the melanation in the world and still want to vote against their interests, not just their interests, but the people um, in their family, their cousins, uh, you know, Kiki and them and all of that. That just drives me nuts. But, you know, the, the introduction of a bill eight hours after it starts out as a two page bill and, and turning into a 98 page bill is really speaks volumes about the character of the individuals who are actually submitting those bills. And we've had clowns in Indiana do the same thing. You know, they start off with a bill that's that's is, is real small and they start interjecting things in it and no one ever has a chance to read it. And and unfortunately, unfortunately, until we, you know, make the connection with people about how your vote turns into people who are writing policies that impact you, it's going to be like that in Indiana. So like a lot of people always say, well, we need a, we need our Stacey Abrams in Indiana. Well, y'all, y'all got Stacey Abrams in Indiana. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than a name. It's got to be a movement. But a lot of people are so, you know, disengaged. I mean, we literally passed, you know, a total abortion ban uh, pretty much in Indiana, even after scores and scores of people said, hey, this ain't cool. Don't do that. They, you know, they didn't even talk about the bill with our super minority. They actually caucused behind closed doors about the abortion bill before they brought it to the floor. So Democrats never even had a chance to see it, what they came up with. But, you know, the, you know, chickens coming home to roost. <laughs> so Indiana passed a RIFRA bill, freedom, you know, of religion, whatever, whatever. The Jewish community uh, in Indiana got up and was vehement about, hey, in our religion, we say life doesn't begin until that baby is born. You all passing this abortion ban is against my religious freedom. And right now the bill is in hiatus because the courts are saying your new abortion bill goes against your other bigoted bill, which was actually trying to quench LGBTQ folk because, you know, they didn't want to make us cakes and stuff, right? So their, their one bigot bill is getting their misogyny bill. It's quite hilarious. <laughs> I mean, but it, I mean, I wish we had the population. You guys are about what, 30% African-American in Georgia? Right, right, right. We're nine in Indiana, 9%. So we, we, we have a lot more work to go. But that's why it's also, talk about the importance of understanding what's happening at the state house. We know that everybody works. We know that everybody has a job. Most people have a job. You can't necessarily go and sit and watch the bills. Talk about the importance of understanding what pieces of legislation are coming through your state house, even though you do have to work. Yes, absolutely. We know that working families are out here juggling so much, but we do know that there are schedules that folks know how to get onto too. So I recommend that every person figures out when does the legislature normally meet and just put yourself some calendar invites in. For example, we start the second Monday in January. That is constitutionally mandated. So just drop that in for the next five years. If you make it one time for the opening day of session in the next five years, I bet you that you will want to come back because you will see how the doors close so quickly, how the meetings happen so fast, 
how your head is swiveling because you're like, wait a minute, I understand basic information and something here wasn't right. Secondly, it's important to know that because of the pandemic, so many things did become virtual. Mm. We actually were hosting house committees virtually. We were able to take committee votes virtually. So there are ways to actually live stream in and also zoom into committee meetings still because we still understand that the pandemic is not over. And then lastly, every year there will be thousands of pieces of legislation that are introduced, that are filed, that are spoken about. But at the end of the day, there's only going to be less than 100 that go Mm -hmm. into effect, Mm -hmm. either on July 1st when the budget happens or January 1st when the next year comes. So even if you miss the whole legislative session by July, you should look and see what laws are coming to effect. And if you still miss it in July, you can follow back up the next January when all those bills go back into effect. I love it. I love it. And and I just think it's so important that we all stay civically engaged. And I think that of all the organizations that have been doing the groundwork down there in Georgia, that's what it's all been about. It's about educating voters and and getting getting them involved. And that and I think that's some of the things that we're trying to do uh, around here in Indiana. Uh, that's why we have bring it on. That's why we have turn left. You know, to to have these conversations in a way that people can just you know hear what's happening. I know they get tired of hearing my mouth, but I don't care. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep talking. I'm gonna keep talking. <laughs> Come on, boss. Well, 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 that wonderful melodious voice you just heard again was Dana Black, Indiana's own. <laughs> and uh, she has her hands in, in many pots up in Indianapolis and throughout the state, actually. Uh, and she works with such notables as Robin Winston and a host of others who are working to make change happen in Indiana. Um, and with us, our special guest tonight is the keynote speaker for tonight's uh, MLK Day. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I hate to abbreviate that. And I told my daughter that the other day, but Mark, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, keynote speaker, uh, who is a representative, Park Cannon, the youngest state representative from uh, the state of Georgia. And she is with us and um, she will soon be giving us that sort of taste of what she will talk about. But before she does, um, I uh, wanted to just ask the question about two individuals who on January 6th of this year received the Presidential Citizens Medal. And these two hail from your state, uh, Ruby Freeman and her daughter, Stacey Moss. Tell us your thoughts about these two courageous ladies and what we witnessed them going through. When you talk about backlash, you talk about death threats, you talk about impersonators coming to your door, that takes you back to the 1800s. But please share with us your impressions of these two bold Americans. You know, it's exciting to finally have people be in the spotlight for the good work that they've done as voter, you know, voting rights protectors. But I think what's so interesting is that they weren't seeking this out. Mm-hmm. They right. were brought right. out in negativity and that negativity bounced off of them and shown back with some positivity. You know, when people try to say that election workers are trying to edit results and change the way that people can access polls and are hitting them with violence, um, it is so beautiful. I think it is God. I think it is karma. I think it's so many things. 
Um, and so to actually see them be able to not feel as though they are going to be prosecuted or persecuted, but they're actually revered and respected and understood, I think it will it actually is giving some more energy to our young people in Georgia and working on a project called the Georgia Youth Poll Worker Project. And so we have intentionally been getting college students and those directly out of college and a few high schoolers, if they're 18, to work the polls because then they can see what the changes are happening in real time. And so this presidential medal, this honor actually gives that energy back to young people in Georgia that says, if you work the polls, it's going to possibly be even better than if you didn't. Yeah. And I find it interesting. Like, I mean, you know, Martin Luther King Day, the holiday, it means so much because of, of the, even though they wanted to like, you know, harm us, he was still a Prince of Peace, right? But what, it's going to drive me crazy because you are not this example. There are going to be lots of politicians step, standing in front of microphones tomorrow talking about, you know, content of the character and no color and uh, I have a dream and all of that. But they're not going to talk about the Poor People's Campaign. They're not going to talk about um, having wars all over the, the world, uh, being the aggressor. They're not going to talk about labor. They're not going to talk about the things that the Dr. King really, really stood for. You know, they want, I mean, yes, they, they, they was cool as long as he was saying, listen, if they whooping our behind, don't fight back. They was cool with that. But when he started stepping off into, okay, well, you know, justice, if we don't have justice over here, there's, there's justice for nobody. And he was, in, so, so talk about what it means to be a politician when you actually live real king versus the clowns they are going to be standing up with their one line or two lines that they've memorized from Dr. King and, and his plethora of speeches and written words. And they are not, they are actually performing in the exact opposite of what Dr. King stood for. This is political theater as its finest. Okay. This is, you know, the full bait and switch. And it happens actually every day on the House floor, they will say one thing and really be doing the other or use Dr. King's words to prove their point. I remember when we were passing the anti-hate crime law just three years ago in Georgia, and one of the people and dissenting to the bill said that basically Dr. King would not want this bill yes. and to use the opposite, you know, this reverse psychology. And so, you know, it feels like a familiar game, but I do think that what we all have to remember is that we get to determine how we move forward. So regardless of if they are making false claims or, or using, um, you know, quotes, in order to not actually do the work. Well, what can we do? So I know that, um, you know, I went around and tried to get signatures from every member of the House of Representatives to commemorate the holiday. And, you know, there were some members who, you know, would say to me with their Southern slang, no, girl, it's fine. No, no, thank you. What you got in that bill there? What's in there? I'm not sure. I need to read all of it. I'm not quite sure. And so, you know, for me, it's like, okay. I'm not even going to go there with you. I'm just going to tick it down on my hand. So I remember this moment in history in 2023, you were still stuck on this um, and, and, and share those stories to the future because we are going to keep knocking. We're not about to stop. We're about to continue bringing the truth to the people. 
Man, and I tell you, when they were trying to pass the hate crimes legislation here, um, my uh, my white brothers and sisters, mostly my white brothers, was losing a mind because they was like, oh, my God. And I was like, dude, you do realize if a black person, Asian person, Latino person whoops your behind and says, I'm doing it because you white. That's a hate crime. Everybody gets protected. You nut. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like people don't know how to read anymore. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I don't know. Like, I, I mean, it's like, dude, for real. I mean, but, but we, we act like we don't want to protect each other. Like we, oh, I don't care if, if, as long as you don't mess with me, you know, whatever happens to you is cool. And I, I just, I, you know, I just don't like to see the performative um, Dr. King celebrations when you're not even, you're not standing up for black folks. You're not showing up for black folks. Um, and unfortunately we got some deeds to do the same thing. They don't show up right. for black folks like they should. And I right. need them to, cause you know, if you're not going to stand up for us, why should they? Right. You know, and and we know the Republicans though, because in Indiana, they had they they launched last year. Uh, I, I gotta tell you this part. Last year they launched their Republicans launched their DEI class, and so they have all these Black and Latino folks coming through their training to be more you know more in their conservative caucus. But there is not one Black Republican in leadership or or elected. Then there's the Latino. But he's ba- he's Herschel Walker. <laughs> he's the Latin Herschel Walker. <laughs> I'm not playing Diego Morales. But I, but you you faking it. You faking it. All right, boss. I'm I'm I know I'm I, I get excited when I see. Let me tell you. I gotta tell you this. Okay. I told folks that Representative Park Cannon was coming to coming physically coming yes. to Indiana. Yeah. My people up here about lost their minds. They were like, we want to go. My best friends who are actually moving this week, they were like, should we move? And I'm, they was like, yeah, we got to move. <laughs> we we got to no. move. We got we to gotta move. So you well, are thrilled to, to have her and have you, Dana. And uh, Dana, again, is no stranger to bring it on. Uh, one thing you said that you passed a friendly, was it an amendment or just uh something that everyone should have just got on board with because it's the right thing to do type, not even legislation, but just something to announce publicly. Based on just your challenges with that, what are your, what are your, what are your hopes for having bipartisan leadership in the Georgia State Legislature this year? There's newness at the Georgia State Capitol, but the leadership on you know the opposite side is not looking very diverse. Now we have the most diverse class we've ever had. We have people of Muslim faith, people who speak Spanish, folks who are from Asian descent, queer folks, people who are older, people who you know were widows and now are running. You know people who are coming from multiple different vantage points who got pushed out of the Senate with redistricting and are now in the House. So it's a very diverse class on one side, and I'm just hopeful that on the other side, because people are newer and not indoctrinated, they'll be open to receiving information that is culturally diverse and to really grow their possibility to just be a better ambassador of who Georgia is. Georgia is blue. Georgia is diverse. Georgia is browning. And so how could you be a representative of that state and not really hold all of the pieces of it. We are the world's busiest airport. We are an international um, state with the best port, with the largest port. We're the first city with a port. So, you know, in the South. And so there's so much connection that I think is missed out on if people aren't interested in uh, diverse leadership. 
Well, you, you know, to that point, I, I think, and from our conversations over the past few years here on Bring It On and just in conversations in the public, the, the one thing that the, the elephant in the room that people don't talk about is the fear amongst some of our white brothers and sisters of this, this moment when numerically uh, they may be deemed a minority. And, and you see all types of behavior happening now to kind of, you know, just either set that back five or 10 years or whatever incarceration rates. Um, and then some have even argued questionable killings. I mean, we went through a whole five years every summer, some new shooting uh, mm -hmm. just to check people or keep them, you know, unex unexplainable killings. Um, and, and then, you know, this whole move now against critical race theory. Um, what's your thought on that? I mean, the fact that telling people in education, no, you, you really can't teach that because it'll make our children feel bad. You're That's welcome. exactly what it was in Georgia. The bill we just had passed and we fought tooth and nail not to allow to pass. It said that there would be um, psychological harm done um, if certain subjects were taught. And, and really the truth is that critical race theory is not taught unless it's a graduate level degree um, at an institution where they're not going to lose funding uh, from the state or from their funders from for talking about. And so the first has really just been, we have had to continue to debunk this myth that it is being taught in places, but also to say that what do you think I felt when I was a child growing up, like I said, on my school news, holding my family artifacts? You don't think I felt a little psychologically something, but I cannot escape that. That is, that, that is the truth of it. And in fact, it, I'm so much better for digging into that. And so what do you do when you, you take kids on a field trip to a place where there's African-American history? How do you not truly discuss that? We have a Holocaust museum in our state capitol. I mean, how are how are students going to visit the state capitol and not feel um, these emotions? So I'm really hopeful that as we do move forward, the young folks are going to continue to push back on this. How much different would it be if someone who just graduated high school ran for school board? Right. It would be so different mm -hmm. because they would really have that recent lived experience. And it's legal in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. You can become a judge. 19 without even going to law school. So really looking at and seeing how we get young people to see their leadership, to join boards of directors of nonprofits, to go and to achieve more and more. Um, I really think it's going to make a difference in these laws that are directly trying to censor their learning. Absolutely. And here in Indiana, they actually worked, they introduced a bill last year. We're not sure if it's coming back. But the uh, anti-CRT bill du jour was, A, if a parent feels like their child has suffered some stress or whatever it is, they can sue for a maximum of $1,000. Now, see, when they write these bills, they're not thinking about anybody other than little white parents. So I politely reminded all the brown, black, Asian and, and LGBTQ plus parents, when your history is omitted and your child is traumatized, you need to sue for a thousand dollars because that, that's a thousand dollars in every marginalized family's pocketbook because y'all trying to pass laws to say, to, you know, you know, because it's you don't even know what it is. 
You ask people, I had a debate on another uh, show not long ago, and it was the former, two, they gave me part. They put me on with two black Republicans. <laughs> and we were debating CRT. And I asked them, can you please show me the teacher's lesson plan that has critical race theory? And they could not because it's not there. But you want to pass a bill that says if my child is traumatized, they get $1,000, where every Black parent who has a child needs to be suing for $1,000. So I don't know. It's just, But you know what? It's just really just buzzwords, right? Because if, if, if they didn't rile up their base to be angry about, you know, you know, uh, identity politics, and then they might actually have to tell them that, hey, we really want to get rid of Social Security so that you have to choose be between eating and, your, and keeping a roof over your head. We really want to defund public education so your kid doesn't even have a chance in life. We really want to, you know, continue to pollute the environment so that farmers can't even get a decent yield. We really want to, you know, if they tell them the truth about all the things that they stand for, then they wouldn't win. So they got to go back to divisive politics. At least you're not black politics. You know what I'm saying? That's I'm, that, They do it all over. And that's why I just struggle so much with folks who should know better, but continue to perpetuate the nonsense for personal gain. We, we got enough shucking and jiving on television. And, you know, what is it? Uh, I don't know. World star. What, what, what is it? I don't know. Tell me what it is, Spark. You know what it is. World star. We got enough shucking and jiving. You are so right. I love this. I just love it. <laughs> well, Indiana's that's, that's on Dana we, Black. Oh. That, that's why we pay the big bucks to have Dana Black come on with us. Her contract allows her to come on at any time. <laughs> and her agent just calls and tells us when to put her on. No, I wish it were that simple, but it is not. She is volunteering her time because she's a passionate advocate in the state of Indiana. You mentioned Pennsylvania. And we, lest we forget that Joanna McClinton was destined to become the first black speaker. And it was a log jam. She consented to support a Republican who promised to behave as an independent, but got voted in so that we wouldn't have 15 rounds of voting, I guess. <laughs> they say, well, we haven't answered all this. Let's just all work together. Uh, but now, all of a sudden, short memories. Uh, your thoughts on that? I mean, just trying to be bipartisan, trying to show goodwill, trying to take the upper road to do the people's work. And this is what we, we get. So what's your thoughts on that? We're having the same stuff happen in Georgia. You know, even though they were determining whether or not they were going to be there to vote for their own speaker or whether we were going to run a candidate for a speaker because they wouldn't have the votes and maybe we would get at least our members, um, and then we would we would be able to see back and forth. But ultimately, the leadership team, you know, determined that we were going to negotiate. And so I think this is where there's got to be real conversations about negotiations versus just saying it's bipartisan. A negotiation that really, you know, you you've got some wins. You you might have lost a little bit, but you're able to still, you know, walk straight. Versus if it's a bill and there's 17 signatures and you give the last two to the opposite party. That's not, that's not the real work of it. And so we're working to, to change the material things that are happening in Georgia. The minority caucus always had less money in our staff budgets. We have gotten that increased with this negotiation. We are a low legislative professionalism state, so we don't get paid much and we don't have much staff. And so we've really asked 
well, can we create an office of the House of Representatives Constituent Services so that now there is someone who can actually look into your Department of Labor case and can follow it, um, can make sure that you're getting your food stamps renewed, can help with your Medicaid claims and things like that. And so I think that this is a time where it's really important to understand. And any lawmaker who is talking about bipartisanship should be able to express the exact outcomes of a negotiation. Now, I'm not saying it has to happen right when the negotiation is happening, because you might you know, not be able to get what you need. But to be able to come out and to say, this is what we got, I think that is what people really need to be able to see right now. Believe it or not, it's almost time to end this uh, conversation and land the plane. I tell you, you know, time flies. We're having, uh, you know, momentous and fulfilling conversation. Now, um, we have promised, we, we sort of alluded to it all through this conversation, just a little taste of what your remarks would be uh, in the next probably at the top of the hour, but for us, what would your remarks would be as you take to the podium uh, tonight to give the keynote for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day observance? The stories that come out of the South, out of organizers of marginalization, out of people who have yearned for something different, might not have been in the normal tongue or in the native tongue, but have been able to get it out and finally say what they need to say, sometimes that comes in the version of a cry or a yell or a screech. And we in Georgia are proud of all of those sounds, all of those voices. We, in fact, want to make sure that we're marching together, that we're moving forward, and that we do what we do best, which is get in good trouble and keep knocking. Now, you can knock on a door. It can be a door of injustice, and it might not open. But other eyes will see it. And we do believe that because of the eyes that have been on Georgia, we have been able to surmount some of the other challenges that have happened. And I want to share some of the stories of trial and, um, you know, temptation that have been happening in Georgia. I want to bring Georgia and Indiana closer to each other and help people understand some of the similarities. And lastly, I'm really hopeful that I will inspire some more people to become activists, elected officials, or become community leaders um, in their own way. Because right now, what we're seeing is that people are still grieving the deaths of the people around them, the ideas that they thought were going to come into fruition or possibly the people who they thought that they were going to be. We have been looking to have named leaders to lead us into something, but really we are who we've been waiting for. And so I love to go on and talk a little bit about how we can all be true to what we're feeling and be intersectional about who we are, but be actionable and be biased towards change. I love All right. it. All I'm right. excited about tomorrow night. I will be down in Bloomington for that. I am there. I am there. And I'll be, I'll be, listen, I'm a call and response Baptist. So, you know, just be ready. <laughs> you know, you, you hit it, you hit a tone. You're going to get it. Say gonna... what? You're gonna have the you're gonna have the deacons come over and escort you out. <laughs> I, I, I'm in the, they're not gonna they're not gonna let me. In. Well, did you, well, well, wait a minute, wait before you go. Did you hear my congressman when when uh, Representative Jeffries was delivering his speech and you heard the come on now? That was my uh -huh. Andre Carson. That was my All congressman right. Carson. So you know we come from a call and response region. I hear you. Well, I have so I have high hopes. Um, even though you know McCarthy's gonna show just what the circus is all about. 
you know, Democrats have pointed it out, but now you will see it live from your living room. Um, but, you know, Jeffries is sitting in the wings, uh, uh, Representative Hakeem Jeffries, um, hopefully waiting his turn to come in there and show what leadership is all about. They, they remain resolute. No one, no one deviated through that whole voting. 15 rounds. That was like a prize fight. 15 rounds. It was embarrassing. Well, but what's more embarrassing is that you had 20 people holding up the entire government. I know. I know. That, and then and these, and supposedly th never, never Kevin's. And wait a minute. And these are the insurrectionists. I need y'all to understand. It's it's yeah. not just oh, yeah. any 20 people. Yeah. It wasn't like 20 <laughs> people from the Black Caucus or the Jewish Caucus. It was the 20 MAGA Caucus that were scared, yeah. had their homies scaling the side of the building like ants. That's right. That's right. Or or just like the, the zombie movies you see. Z zombie. Anyway, on that note, on that <laughs> note, our thanks to State Representative Park Cannon. Georgia's youngest state representative and this year's Bloomington, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day keynote speaker. Uh, we thank her for joining us this evening to discuss her vision, passion, and views on Georgia and national politics and giving us a little sampling of what you'll enjoy at the end of this particular pre-recorded interview in just a few moments. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you, if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at w fhb.org. We want to make sure your, you share, we share everything uh, and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address again is bringiton at wfhb.org. Bring It On's executive producer is Clarence Spoon. Our co-anchor for this evening is Bring It On, uh, former contributor and proclaimed Indiana's own Dana Black, who is producer and anchor of Turn Left. Our show consultant, WFHB News Department Director is Cade Young, Program Engineer Chantal LaFontaine, and original theme music was created by Jamil FM with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Clarence Boone. And I'm Indiana's own Dana Black. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.